For centuries, people have relied on the healing powers of natural hot springs. Soaking in these waters improves circulation, reduces stress, relieves skin infections, and heals many other ailments. Today, a resurgence of wellness resorts and destination spas is taking place. In one sense, there's nothing wrong with enjoying a therapeutic bath in a hot spring, but some people go too far and slide into silly superstition. This was true of people that visited the Pool of Bethesda in the city of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Do you believe in miracles? Do you need a miracle today? There's a fine line between the supernatural and superstition. Jesus Messiah is the only true miracle worker. I'm Ron Jones. Something good starts right now. Sometimes your deliverance from sin or addiction will come down to one simple question. How bad do you want it? Hello and welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor of Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. I'm Brian Davis, thanks for joining us. Today we return to the pool of Bethesda and to a man who had been infirmed for 38 years. As you follow along, you'll discover five key steps you need to take towards your own deliverance. So stay with us now as Ron continues his series, Believe the Miracles of Jesus. Online, you'll find us at somethinggoodradio.org, where you can listen to the broadcast on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. From John chapter 5, here's Ron with part two of his Something Good Radio message, The Poolside Miracle. And so do the impossible here. Number four, remove any chance of returning to your former state of helplessness. Now again, I'm, I'm aiming some of my comments this morning to those who are caught in a trap of addiction and of despair and hopelessness. Maybe it's some substance abuse like alcohol or drugs or tobacco or sex or whatever it might be, and you've been in this state of nothing's going to change. It hasn't changed for decades. It's just the way I am. My daddy was an alcoholic. His daddy was an alcoholic. That's just the way our family is. No, it's not the way it is. It's not the way it is when Jesus is present. And number four, you've got to remove any chance of returning to your former state of helplessness. Jesus doesn't just say to the man, get up. He says, get up and take up that pallet. Why? Because the temptation to go back there and lay down is, is enormous. You've been in this state of helplessness, and helplessness has been a way of life for you for decades. Don't think that there isn't going to be a tug back in that direction. So you not only need to get up and do the impossible, because you serve a God of possibilities, but then you, you, have, to, you have to remove anything that becomes a stumbling block, anything that may cause you to return to that state of helplessness. I'm reminded of a couple of places in Scripture, uh, namely Matthew chapter 5. Turn with me there for a moment. Matthew chapter 5, right in the middle of one of Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, and uh, we can start in verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman 
with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. There's a whole world of sexual addiction that is, it could be addressed here. And here's how Jesus says to address it. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body goes into hell. What is he talking about here? He's using a literary form or term uh, or mechanism called uh, hyperbole. Hyperbole is exaggeration to make a point. And what he's saying here is sin dealt with uh, radically is sin dealt with effectively. If, if that mat of yours is going to draw you back into a former state of helplessness, take it up, get rid of the thing. If, if you're having difficulty going to certain sites out there on the internet or otherwise that are causing you to stumble, cut off the internet service. Get rid of those things. Sin dealt with radically is sin dealt with effectively. If you're an alcoholic and you say, oh, I'm going to get rid of the bottle tomorrow because I've got one hidden up here in the cabinet somewhere. No, you've got to get rid of that thing. You've got to get rid of every temptation that may draw you back into that old habit of sin and draw you back into your former state of helplessness. And you might need some accountability along the way. Another Jesus follower who's looking over your shoulder and making sure you aren't hiding something here or hiding something there. I also think of Hebrews chapter 12. Turn with, there with me for a second. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. One of my favorite passages of Scripture talks about running in this race we call the Christian life not the rat race. It can feel like that sometimes, but this race called the Christian life, the writer of Hebrews says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. He had just gone through chapter 11 and that great hall of faith and all these great saints that walked with God by faith. He says, they're, they're almost like in a stadium watching us run this race. We're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And then he says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. This is the picture of a track star who, you know, when he gets ready to run the 100-meter race, takes off the warm-ups because he can't run that race bogged down by the heaviness of the warm-ups and all of that. He says, if you're going to run the Christian life and run it well, lay aside every encumbrance. In Jesus' words, take up that mat. Don't, don't leave it there so that you return to your former state of helplessness. Take it up and get rid of it is the implication here. And the writer of Hebrews says, run the race that is before you, but lay aside every sin, every encumbrance that would so easily weigh you down even that addiction you might be struggling with. So let's go back. Desire healing deeply. Stop making excuses. Do the impossible. Remove any chance of returning. Here's a fifth one. Move forward in life. Got to get some motion going here, all right? Jesus says to him, get up, take up your pallet, and walk. Walk. 
I, I love the, the picture here of, of, of walking. It reminds me of, of the Christian life, which is often in the Bible described as a walk, and the implication is we're walking forward in life. And that's true, isn't it? You're either walking forward or you're walking backwards or you're staying stationary, right? Last thing you want to do is to stay stationary. Something has to change. Something has to change in your, your movement and, and, and how you're going through life. Uh, some Christians I know who are, are trying to be set free from certain addictions, they're sort of like Michael Jackson. They're walking, but they're moonwalking, and they're going backwards. That's called a backslidden Christian, all right? You like my moonwalk? I really can't do it very well, but I, I, I love the analogy there. You're either a moonwalking Christian who's walking backwards or you've stayed stationary and nothing has changed and you're falling into the same old habits, or you get up, take up that pallet, and move forward. Move forward. Run this race with endurance, fixing your eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, the writer of Hebrews says. I was thinking about all the places in the Bible uh, that talk about this Christian life being a walk, Psalm chapter 1 and verse 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Well, that's a good one, isn't it? And when you're trying to be set free from an addiction or some infirmity, you got to surround yourself with some people, some good godly counsel and accountability to help you with that. But I also think of the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians is, is, is for believers in Jesus Christ. Seven times in the book of Ephesians it talks about our walk in the Christian life. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2, Paul talks about how uh, Christians once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of, of disobedience. We once walked in a disobedient way, he says, uh, with the devil calling the shots. Ephesians 2.10, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 4 and verse 1, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Uh, chapter 4 and verse 17, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Chapter 5 and verse 2, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us. Uh, chapter 5 and verse 8, walk as children of light. Chapter 5 and verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. Jesus said to this man who had been an invalid for 38 years, get up and walk. Get up and walk. Walk like the child of God you are. Move forward in life is the implication here. It's a pretty powerful story. It's a pretty powerful story. No matter where you are, whatever, whatever sin, every sin is addicting. Maybe you're addicted to bitterness today, and you've been stuck in that cycle of bitterness for decades, and you've just decided, that's the way I am. No, that's not why Jesus Christ came into your life. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. And all things are increasingly becoming new. You don't have to remain in that state of despair and hopelessness if you really want help. 
If you really want to change, the power of God is available to you. We'll be right back with more of today's Something Good message from Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. Well, we're living in a very unique time in world history, and we're grateful to see God using Something Good Radio like never before. And as you're able to support the ministry this month, we want to say thank you with a special gift of our own. The complete audio download to the series you're hearing now, Believe the Miracles of Jesus. That's Believe the Miracles of Jesus, a nine-message series from Dr. Ron Jones. And for a limited time, our gift to you for your gift to Something Good Radio. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. And you can also call our offices, 757-276-1099. Now let's join Ron for the rest of today's Something Good Radio message, The Poolside Miracle. Now this is not the end of the story. In fact, as we read on beginning in verse 10, it tells us, now that day was the Sabbath. And it goes on to say, so the Jews were saying to the man who is cured, it is the Sabbath and it is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, pick up your pallet and walk. And they asked him, who is the man who said to you, pick up your pallet and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. Let's stop right there. Is sickness always the result of sin? Jesus seems to imply that this man's sickness was the result of his sin. Later, when he heals a blind man, the disciples come to Jesus and say, Jesus, what sin caused this man's blindness? That was the prevailing theology of the day, that every sin had a sickness that it resulted in. When Jesus healed the blind man, he said quickly to his disciples, this man isn't blind because he sinned. So you, you take this and other teachings together. Some, some sickness is a result of sin, but not all sickness is a result of sin. And be careful even as a follower of Jesus with a good heart walking into somebody's hospital room and saying, there must be some sin in your life. Job's friends did that to him for about 38 chapters, and they were, they were wrong. But in this case, and in some broader sense, every sickness, every ailment, every disease is a result of, a, of how sin has ransacked this world. And you can go all the way back to the book of Genesis chapter 3 for that. Death entered the world because of sin. So Jesus says to this man, uh, do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. And for this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, my father is working until now, and I myself am working. Very interesting um, segment to this story here because here was a man who had been healed 
And, and it was every reason for anybody that day to rejoice. But the Jewish leaders caught wind of it. And they were more worried about keeping their persnickety rules regarding the Sabbath than they were rejoicing in the work that God was doing in this man's life. And this begins a um, kind of a season of animosity that the Pharisees had toward Jesus, especially as it related to the Sabbath. Now, if you study real carefully the New Testament, every one of the Ten Commandments is reinstated and ratcheted up some in the New Testament, except the Sabbath. Elsewhere in the Gospels, Jesus declares Himself to be the Lord of the Sabbath. That was His way of saying, I can do whatever I want to do with the Sabbath I created. And, and he, he changes it a bit in the Gospels and in the New Testament. But these religious leaders were so, so bent on their little persnickety rules, and having a right relationship with God was all about keeping the rules. They couldn't even rejoice that this man had been healed. And what it suggests to me and to all of us is, you know, not everybody's going to be thrilled that God healed you. Not everybody's going to be thrilled that He gloriously delivered you from some addiction that has been slamming you to the mat for years, even decades. And it's important for you as you get up, take up your mat, and walk, that you walk with people around you who are for you, not against you, who can hold you accountable for all the right reasons. And, and who can be there when you stumble a little bit to hold you up and to pray for you and to make sure that uh, you, never, you never go back to your former state of helplessness. Uh, the Jewish leaders back 2,000 years ago were not that group of people for this healed man. It was Jesus and His disciples who could play that role for them. And I would suggest lastly, if you've, you're almost at that place where you've lost hope, there's one more thing you need to do and that is to join God in the work He's already doing. Did you see that? In verse 17, Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I myself am also working. Years ago, Henry Blackaby wrote a wonderful curriculum called um, Experiencing God. Thank you. Thank you. Had a moment there. And one of, the, one of the takeaways from that curriculum was figure out where God is working and go join Him in that effort. Because being in that environment where God is working is, is going to add to and strengthen your healing and your ability in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the power of Christ to continue walking in a godly direction uh, around and with people who are just as broken as you are. I, I always say this church, any church, is a safe place for broken people, lame people, invalids, spiritually, physically, otherwise. We're all broken in some way. And you need the body of Christ as much as I need the body of Christ. Not to be persnickety Jewish leaders who are, you know, doing this, you know, judgmental. 
No, but who come along in a grace-filled community and say, listen, let's, let's together walk with Jesus and do the work that God is doing. You want to find out where God is working? You go to a church like this and join Him. Join Him in that effort. And it will be healing not only for your soul, but your body and every other thing that you struggle with in life. Verse 18, and we'll finish there. It says, for this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Oh, yes, they didn't recognize that he was their long-awaited Messiah. They were so bent about the little rules that he broke and didn't understand he was the Lord of the Sabbath. It says, because he was not only breaking the Sabbath, but listen to this, also was calling God his own Father, making himself equal with God. From time to time I hear people say, oh, Jesus never claimed to be God. That was just something the early church made up. No, <laughs> even the religious leaders back then figured out what he was saying, what he was claiming to be, who he was claiming to be, and they were rip-snorting mad about it. And from this point forward, the antagonism begins to grow all the way to the cross of Christ. Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you believe in, in the God who can do the impossible in your life? Uh, have, you, have, you, have you lost all hope? You're in a place of despair. Hopelessness has become a way of life for you. Well, all of that can stop right now. It stops at the foot of the cross. And even for a believer in Jesus Christ who has moonwalked back into some state of helplessness. Listen, you were saved and redeemed from more than that. And today is your day to get up, take up your pallet, and to walk, to walk with the body of Christ, to walk as a child of light, to walk in the manner that is worthy of the calling for which Jesus saved you. Today's your day to do that. Thanks so much for joining us for today's Something Good message, The Poolside Miracle. Okay, Rod, so when it comes to healing and deliverance, we've learned that we ourselves have a role to play. It may be something as simple as a genuine desire to be made well, which begs the question, why would anyone not want to be made well? You know, Brian, that's the million-dollar question, and I think I may be able to sum up all of the possible reasons in a single word. Fear. Let's back up for a moment. Jesus asked the man at the pool of Bethsaida, do you want to be made well? And I don't think he would have asked unless the answer could have been no. And maybe it was no for this man. Maybe he was comfortable in his infirmity. Maybe he liked the attention. Maybe deep down he enjoyed the fact that not much was expected of him. Uh, because that's the thing, Brian. Uh, when Jesus heals you, whether it's something physical like the man here at the pool or, or whether it's deliverance from an addiction or deliverance from the profound pain of losing a child or losing a marriage or losing both, uh, when Jesus heals you, now all of a sudden you're expected to go out there and be of service to somebody else. The sympathy of others begins to die down. You're no longer the object of so much attention, and now you have to start giving yourself away to other people who need to be healed. And some people, quite frankly, are afraid of that, afraid of what they're going to lose, and equally afraid of the new responsibilities that come with that healing. Some people would rather stay by the poolside of their known distress 
than to dive into the waters of their unknown destiny. It can be scary, Brian. And I think that's ultimately the question for all of us. Do we want to be made well? And I'll add this. If the answer is no, it's because of fear. And guess what? God can deliver you from fear as well. That's Dr. Ron Jones with some great final thoughts from his message, The Full Side Miracle. And Ron, before we wrap it up for today, let's talk about where you're headed tomorrow on the next edition of Something Good Radio. You know, Brian, all of us have been in situations we find impossible to overcome. For some, it's an impossible marriage. For others, it's a rebellious child. Uh, There are lost jobs and bad medical reports, and there's infertility and any number of other things that come against us. And we think, there is no way through this. But there is. And tomorrow, I'll take you to one of Jesus' most famous miracles, the feeding of the 5,000, to demonstrate just how miraculous the God we serve can be. That's tomorrow when Dr. Ron Jones shares his message, The Lunch Miracle. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for listening.